Welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast, hosted by Jason Barbato. Hey everybody, welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Barbato. Along with me is my show's producer, my co-host, Marissa Kelly. Marissa, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, I wish you guys were behind the scenes so you could see what's been happening, but... <laughs> Fun times. Yeah, good times. Good times. Super excited to uh, talk to our guest today, um, someone who is also in our world of podcasting. So we get to, you know, podcast with the podcaster, which is really fun. Um, But Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about our guest? Yeah, well, it's not so much that we're just in the same world of this podcast uh, host, Uh, We're actually orbiting his planet, Uh, and the reason why I am so excited to bring our audience and introduce them to uh, Adam Bells of Scuff podcast today is because personally, I have really benefited from the knowledge that just gets dropped on a weekly basis uh, on their show. Um, So for those of you that are also uh, Patreon contributors... Uh, I am one. I, you know, very early on, I started supporting uh, their podcast because I love the content they create. So I would definitely want to plug them real early on uh, and tell you to do that. We have a funny story about the interaction there later on. Um, But go ahead. Let's go ahead and bring Adam on. Guys, I know you're going to really enjoy chatting with him. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Glad to finally get you on here. We had computer crashes and Marissa and I with a real stone cold terrible opening a few times but we're glad to my have computer. you on the show. My computer now, your that computer crashed, crashed I know. For the record. Yeah, but we yeah. we crashed the intro, let me tell you. So, but thanks so much. Uh, we're really excited to uh, have you share the passion behind what you what you're doing and what you're building, uh, which I think is really really beautiful for the game and, and it's healthy for the growth of the game. Uh, Marissa, any other final thoughts or things you uh, tops you want to spin before we you jump out? No, I'm I'm excited to hear um, all the things and how maybe even some stories of what you've learned being a little bit behind the scenes and having that access to the team. So uh, I'll be back towards the end of the show to get um, give you guys some insights and see how we can connect with you, Adam, in the future. All right. Thanks, Marissa. We'll see you in a little bit. Uh, Adam, you know, uh, I'll share with the audience first, you know, the, everybody, the way that I kind of got connected with Adam is, like I said, I've been a subscriber to his podcast um, content on Patreon for, for quite a long period of time. And recently I went through this, uh, I don't know, I get kind of really myopically focused and I canceled all these subscriptions that I had all over the internet. <clears throat> One of those being Scuff Podcast, because uh, I just I just went scorched earth and just kind of started canceling everything. And and surprisingly enough, as big as I I perceive Adam to be, he reached out to me directly and said, "Dude, why'd you cancel?" Uh, <laughs> I felt terrible about that. I I felt seen and and called out, and I felt bad. Uh, so uh, Adam, thanks so much for at least just reaching out and having that great professional and personal touch, uh, because what you're building I think is really really good, and I'm happy to only have had a nine hour lapse in judgment of canceling your podcast. You've been a, you've been a supporter for a long time, man. And yeah. I appreciate it. And, and that's, you know, that's like I told you before we started, that's what, that's what caught my eye. That's what prompted me to send an email is once somebody has been supporting for that long, I think you started what in like May, 2019 or something like that. It was a while ago. Yeah. Uh, um, pretty early into COVID. <laughs> pretty early yeah. Into even COVID. before. Yeah. And when somebody oh, before even COVID, gosh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot. Holy cow. Yeah. So when somebody when somebody's been supporting us that long and then they decide to cancel that um I do I do want to find out. It's not it's not a pure like cynical play to get them to sign back <laughs> up. I do want to find out. I it mean works. it's partly that. Sure, but. sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, so here's um 
So here's where I want to kind of go today. I really want to talk about your passion behind why you cover the men's national team. Um, you know, for me personally, that's that's how I fell in love with soccer. Um, I had a buddy back in 2005 that when I, you know, back in my Starbucks barista days, you know, going to college and things like that, I had a buddy who was from Seattle who was following the men's national team. And he kind of cattle prodded me into becoming a, a fan of the game. And uh, he had asked me, you know, hey, listen, um, you know, do you like watching soccer? And I was like, no, I don't like people falling over and flopping. Like, I think it's a lame sport and, and there's ties, you know, very typical American mindset. There's not enough action. It's, it's, it's lame. I don't know what I'm doing, but I, it's dumb. It's dumb because I don't understand it. And he said, well, that's fine. Like, if you want to, you know, watch checkers, that's great. But I like to watch chess. And so he like, he like assaulted my intellectual ability. Yeah. Sport. And I was like, oh, wait, 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 wait a, se- wait a second. Like, what am I missing? And so we started watching men's national teams together. And, you know, fast forward a couple years later, I'm standing on the top of a bar when we're, you know, playing in the World Cup, scoring goals, sinking Yankee Doodle Dandy, throwing beer all over everybody. Like, it was like 14 months later, I was like fully baptized in the game. What World Cup was that? What World Cup was that? You know, I'll tell you, it was when when Dempsey nutmegged Robert Green uh, against England. Okay, 2010. 2010. Yeah, I... I went absolutely ballistic. Uh, first of all, one for us to draw England, uh, which is a little post preview of what we can talk about later in the show. Uh, but that was, I mean, that to me was like pinnacle. Like that was a, that was such a huge moment uh, for me, mm-hmm. uh, loving the game. But I'd love to hear a little bit of your um, background, just regarding your passion and your connection with like the men's national team. Like, can you take us back to kind of like what was it for you um, in connecting with the national program? Hmm. Well, I, you know, I had, a, I had similar experiences at world world cups watching and getting really excited and enjoying the fact that everyone else in the country or many other people in the country were also excited. Yeah. There's something wonderful about that collective feeling. Um, but you know, I grew up playing soccer. I loved, uh, I loved it from a pretty young age. I, uh, I played in, so- I played in college. I was not very good, but I did, I really enjoyed you know, I played at like what's now a D three school. It was NAIA back then, and and had a pretty good program. I was a I was coming in off the bench if I played at all, um, sure. but I loved the I loved the ritual of you know three o'clock practice on that beautiful green field after spending all day reading and listening to lectures, or you know not or just doing nothing, which is what I guess sure. a lot of people do in college. And then but then I go. I go out there and I just love that feeling of working up a sweat and the craft of the game. And I, and I would say after college, uh, when I played like men's league and stuff and I, I had started having kids and I would carry infants around in the alley behind my house, trying to juggle. I, I really, I really just enjoyed the, enjoy the game more than anything, the craft of the game, trying to get better. And, you know, even as like a 33 year old or whatever, but uh, the the podcast, specifically how the podcast started was I was a reporter in Minneapolis. I had met Greg through through my wife uh, like three years earlier. Mm-hmm. And um, I had uh, – no, not three years earlier, like six or seven years earlier. Okay. We had moved away. Greg was still back in Des Moines. So I used to live in Des Moines, used to hang out with Greg a lot. And I, and he was the only person I was texting. I was finding out about Christian Pulisic and Weston McKinney. This would have been like 2017 before we failed to qualify. Yeah. I was spending a lot of time on like the Borussia Dortmund subreddit and the 
Schalke subreddit and just trying to find out anything I could about these two guys and trying to figure out who else was coming along. Cause I had always been a fan. I was not like a, I was not like a Bob Morocco back in 2010, you know, but, but this um, is when coverage for like the U 15s and U 17s really started like the access for us on social media, like that, that type of just reporting on these youth players kind of grew as well because yeah. you used to have to go like, work really hard to try to find anything about youth players. There really wasn't, it really wasn't easy to find. Yeah. I think social media had a big plays a big role in that. Also um, just the ubiquity of soccer footage. You know, there's a lot of ways to find footage now. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so Reddit's good for that folks, by the way. Yeah. Reddit's good. I mean, we, we have a Y scout subscription on our pocket. We're getting really deep in the weeds already, but um yeah. That yeah that and that was that was a good time for us to so I, that was my key interest was the young players coming up and obviously after we failed to qualify for the World Cup yeah. it was nobody was excited about our sort of aging out pool of players uh, why would why would we be we just failed to qualify for the World Cup so we came in and we said hey there's a lot of good players coming up let's uh let's start a podcast and start about the national team and sort of like be excited about the future instead mm -hmm. of instead of wallowing in the sorrow of the present. And, um, you know, a lot of people, I think really, really, really intense U S men's national team fans, they wanted something like that. And, yeah. uh, and we provided it and not always perfectly, but I think with enough consistency where people started to Take started notice. to listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I would have been your target audience. I mean, 100, thousand percent that's why i was pretty early like jump on with you guys and, and fully support what you were doing can you tell me a little bit about like for you um like the impact like watching the game in kuva had like for you like having watched <laughs> going through that whole process it was like it's like one of the darkest days that i can recall for me like i don't want to put it like on some of the, i don't want to name some of the bigger like dark days in like my personal like history of life right. and world events but I had, I really love them. The, I don't have a club. Like I'm I'm a I should say I'm a country first over club guy. And yeah. so that was like that was my not my identity, but it was like my sporting identity. And it, it crushed me personally when we didn't qualify. So what what was that kind of like for you? Kind of knowing hey, that we know what the pipeline looks like, but gosh, there's like this the dark ages now that we were in where we have this gap. I mean, what was that like for you? Yeah, I don't I mean it was it was hard for me to sleep that night for sure. Um, you know, I didn't have a podcast that was making money at the time and the podcast didn't even exist at the time of Kuva. You know, we started it a few months later. So it wasn't like a, I was probably very similar to you. I was just devastated that this team that I love wasn't going to play at the world cup and it was going to be a full, you know, another five years before they'd even have a chance to. Yeah. It felt like forever. And we, we, you know, we had to wait and watch everybody else at the world cup and, uh, it was it was pretty dark and uh, not fun. I, right. I first I was, I, at first I thought, did this really happen? Could this really have happened? Did we really just the statistical chance of it happening? By the way, for those of you guys that don't remember, like the other three games that had that were happening at the same time, there was like less than a two percent chance that the results of those games would have gone that way, even if we we didn't win against Trinidad and Tobago. Right, like a three percent chance. We had a ninety-seven percent chance of qualifying before the game started, regardless of result. 
I still, I, my, I will, let me, tinfoil hat, put it back on my head. I still think there was a massive conspiracy to make sure the U.S. didn't make the World Cup. I'm still, I'm going to, I'm going to die on that hill. I still think there was a conspiracy. Uh, that's just me. Um, well, I, want, didn't, I want answers, damn it. <laughs> didn't, didn't Mexico lose that night too? Or Yes. I'm just uh, saying, listen. Yeah, there was a lot going Panama on. Panama won like some flute game, like how the Honduras game went the other way. Like it just, uh, it. I, there's just something about that night. Uh, you know, 50 years from now, we'll, we'll receive like unredacted FBI documents that there was collusion between the federations. I'm just saying, I won't be yes. surprised. I won't yes. be surprised, uh, dude. It was. I was. I was very. I was physically upset and and physically affected for several days and weeks. I was like kind of pretty uh, unconsolable. My my wife was not. My wife was not pumped that a result from a game would get me so fired up and so bummed out. You know who I always think about when I think about that is the Total Soccer Show. Those guys, um, Daryl and yeah. Taylor, were um, you know so much of their business model depended on the success of the U.S. men's national team, and yeah. for them to brutal man, brutal for them yeah. at the time. Yeah, it was it was really hard, and there weren't a lot of answers. There wasn't a lot of accountability. Um, and... No, there was nobody in charge. It felt like you know this big uh, moment of flux in the Federation. And we had an interim coach, Dave Sarakin, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was nobody even to yell at. No. And we, but there was, yeah, it was, a, it was headless, right? It was without direction. Um, you know, and I think a lot of things were coming to light as well with the relationship between some and MLS and all the things in the background there. It was just, it just reeked of just funk. You just didn't know what was going on. Um, through that though, you know, obviously we can sit here and, and, and just go like, it was freaking terrible. But, but through that, you, you kind of had this like really silver lining perspective because we had this pipeline. So wh like, why, why focus there? Like, and, and where do you think that, that, that change was coming down the line in, in what we were doing as a national program and, and like why, even as a reporter, because obviously you're, you're pretty well trained to kind of get into the weeds, do things, but like, where did, how did what you saw kind of give you a hope and a perspective kind of for where things were at to, you know, kind of eventually ramping up to where we are today? Well, we knew we had Christian Pulisic, you know, even throughout qualifying, we knew we had him and um, he was doing something that nobody had ever done. You know, Landon Donovan, and DeMarcus Beasley both played in the 2002 World Cup as 18-year-olds, or maybe they were 19 at that point, but they were both playing in MLS. Right. Christian Pulisic was at 17, 18, you know, playing in the Champions League for Dortmund right. and and being a key and player. Balling out. Yeah. 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 And that was against Real Madrid, by the way. <laughs> right. He played so well against Real Madrid. Yeah. Several the, times. Yeah. Yeah. He he always shows up against them. I and so I thought, you know, that's a, that was unprecedented. Weston McKenney, uh, Weston McKenney was was breaking in at Schalke. He was a he was a he was a regular player. He was not a regular starter, but he was a regular player for them. And you could see a lot of potential there. And and then you know Tyler Adams was playing really well for the Red Bulls. Yep. And I for a while there, I was really interested in the future of Jonathan Gonzalez, the right. the player who ended up choosing to play for Mexico, and then now he's kind of buried way down Shelved, on their depth yeah. chart absolutely shelved yeah so so i thought you know those four would just start, start with those four because at that point gonzalez was still committed to the u.s the early in the fall of 2017 mm -hmm. and um and he was playing he was starting for Monterrey, the best team in mexico at the time 
So there was a lot. Uh, I felt like there was a lot to be excited about, and like who else is coming up, you know? Um, right. And I didn't have anybody. Tim, I should Tim mention Weah this. Was kind of Tim Weah was kind of around that that circle too a little bit. Yes. At that time. Yeah. We we had a yeah the 2017 U17 World Cup was a really exciting group that had Weah Sargent. Uh, who else? Zach Steffen. Zach Steffen was there. No, he goal? was a little old was for he, that. But that was that was the one previously, right? That's okay. right. Yeah. But but um, Andrew Carlton, who I who I still think was excellent in that tournament, and is not yeah. is obviously not panned out. Well, he's close to you now. Is he playing yeah. for San? Yeah, he's, he's down playing here for San Diego Loyal. Yeah, he's doing all right. Yeah. Okay, good, good for him. But he was he was dynamic in that tournament. Um, James Sands was on that team. Serginio Dest was on that team. Yep. So there was a, there were a lot of players to be excited about, and I don't know. Every, a lot of you know, this is not a new thing. There are a lot of U.S. men's national team right. fans who have been excited about the youth national teams and sort of tracking who's good and who, you know, speculating about the rosters. And you know, you could go to Big Soccer or our or the U.S. Soccer subreddit and talk to people online. You could talk to people on Twitter. But as far as like friends, I had to talk about it with. It was just Greg. You know, Greg and I would text, <laughs> text back and forth. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, no one wants to talk about the upcoming, like a 15 year old <laughs> that you think might be the next big thing. People don't care because we yeah, have, you have to be a sicko. National conversation. Yeah, you have to be sick. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How um, so ap apart from the youth and and for you know for those of you that weren't following the men's national team at that time, like Greg said or Greg said, like Adam said, uh, Greg probably said this too. Um, you know, post not qualifying for the World Cup, then we have an interim coach. Dave Sarakin, which, by the way, uh, I love Dave Sarakin because I feel that he was so unappreciated for being a caretaker during that that period. He took a lot of punches. The program was in complete disarray, and he kind of rallied everybody together. And I really don't feel he get or has gotten enough credit for genuinely like steadying the ship. Like mm -hmm. He steadied it, and he started onboarding a lot of young guys. Anthony yep. Robinson. Josh Sargent's of the world, like started onboarding and and started interjecting this like this youth movement. He kind of began that prior to to Greg Berhalter taking taking the helm, but he really was focusing on youth. You know, That's he true. wasn't calling in the the Josies and the Bobby Woods and the you know the guys that had you know the Bradleys anymore. Like those guys slowly started to phase out, and that had to have been a very difficult. <laughs> that had to be some real difficult moments behind what you and I see, you know, forward facing, those are probably some really tough conversations there. Um, and so we kind of like ramp into that and we start seeing this movement like with Greg and then, and then, you know, for those of you guys, you know, that don't, aren't familiar with the time, there's a lot of conspiracy because Greg Berhalter's brother had worked for the Federation. So everyone felt that there was a conspiracy to make sure he was the coach. He couldn't take over for another year because the Columbus crew was going to get moved to Austin. It just an absolute, just, you know what storm left and right. Mm. We, for being a country as big as we are, having the the resources we have, we did not have our crap together. And so for guys like you and Greg, and even me with some of the friends that I have, nobody wanted to listen to what we had to say. It was just it was a it was just literally a circus. Um, what was the moment for you when you knew that everything was going to be okay with the mm. program? Uh, I I wasn't sure everything was going to be okay because being okay, everything being okay is contingent on qualifying for the World Cup, and we still, you know, cut that okay. pretty close. So that but, didn't come until very recently, then, <laughs> right? But okay. 
But, you know, you mentioned how Dave Sarakin created, uh, sort of onboarded a bunch of younger players. Mm-hmm. Some of that was was rolled back by Burhalter when he took over. You know, he mm-hmm. still he he went back to the like back to the well of the older player. You know, Michael yeah. Bradley got a lot of runouts under Burhalter yeah. in his first. He never year. got a, a good farewell that I thought actually he deserved. I thought that that was rather unfair to him personally. Well, maybe he can get it at some point. I don't know. Yeah. Eh, probably not before the World Cup, but yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. It, but but Burhalter walked some of that back and um. I forget what your question was and what my what I was talking about. <clears throat> when <laughs> when did you when did you think everything oh, was when did you know everything was yeah. going to be okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the so I I would say the Nations League final because that was the first time we had all the excite a lot of the exciting young talent in yeah. one place and you know we we kind of we kind of scraped by against Honduras and then we had that absolutely wild game in in Denver against uh, against Mexico in the Nations League final ended three yeah. two. Uh, Ethan Horvath came on for an injured Zach Steffen and saved a Andres Guardado penalty late. Uh, it was a it was a circus of a night and a lot of fun. I think it went you know it, the, the game started late over here on the East Coast yeah. and it went till like one in the morning. That was that was a lot of fun, and it was a lot of the players that we've been excited about for the last three or four years on the field wearing the U.S. shirt. And I think I think for a lot of people, that including me, that was a that was kind of a turning point night, even yeah, though it wasn't I the mean, prettiest soccer game, you know. No, well, you know, I mean, but games that have that much on the line aren't because right. and, and the the cool thing of watching that game, and I have that record. I still love to go back and watch that game. I, that's the. Um, is that Pulisic scoring the PK and ripping his shirt off? And Gio Reyna getting hit with like a full beer can in the head? Reyna got hit with a full beer can. Did Pulisic? Yeah, Pulisic did rip his shirt yeah. off. And then he gave you the shush. That's so funny. So <laughs> whoever took that photo, first of all, of Pulisic shushing the Mexico crowd, one, God bless you. Two, I ordered a, like a like a three by four print of that on canvas. And literally when it's game day, that goes like over the fireplace, like in my house, like any nice. U.S. Men's national team game day, that thing comes out. My, my wife is like, yo, what are we doing here? And I'm like, I listen, it's, this is, this is like what goes out on game day. Some people put flags in their front yard that goes above my fireplace. Nice. Uh, that photo it's a great photo. It's like a Rembrandt uh, painting. Dude, literally, like, I think I posted, like, right away when I saw that, like, hang it in the Louvre. Like, like wherever this, like, whoever is in charge of the Smithsonian, get the rights to this thing, put this in the National Hall of Fame. Like, let's let's get this sucker. Like, that that was a watershed moment for U.S. soccer. Um, I, it was, I agree. It was, it was huge. Because you see, finally, and the picture cap- encapsulates it so nicely because you see, we got Pulisic in the center of everything doing the shush, but you have Tim Weah there, Gio Reyna, uh, I think Anthony Robinson is in that photo too. Giochini's in there. Yeah. Uh, and it's literally like a frame or two before Gio gets pegged with like a full beer can and gets like concussed, <laughs> like which is that could have gone way worse, by the way, uh, which was just, you know, it's par for the course in front of, you know, for what Pulisic was doing. But I think that that, that definitely was a moment like a, a like they've arrived. I, I would, for me personally, it was beating France in the under, was it the under 20 World Cup or under 17 World Cup? Under tw- that, under twenty in twenty nineteen, yeah. That was to me when we won that game with the players that we had out there, and knowing like, listen, Francis like C team could probably still like roll most like international teams. Period. Yep. And the kids that they had coming in the pipeline are just they're still such high quality. And and for the for you know Luca Del not Luca Del Sebastian Soto I think scored a uh, 
a brace in that game. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, guys that, you know, didn't pan out right away that you still hope, you know, will be able to be contributors down the road. They, they just either they're bad agents or they got to find their way and got in bad situations. But that, that for me was like, that was my moment where I was like, we're going to be okay. Like Jurgen, in my opinion, Jurgen kind of like restructured the youth program going way down to, to having smaller sided games, younger. So more touches on the ball. So you, we had about 10 years of that on ramp and that was kind of like the first, you know, with, with tab and all the work that he did with that, those kids. Um, it was like the first real, like, we're going to be able to do something in the future. And what has happened in the past is not going to be what defines us. Like our, you know, the future is forward, you know, is like that big motto that the national team program has. And, and I, I think it's true. Like solo Palante, here we go. Like, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it. Um, that was a huge thing for me. Um, you know, you, 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 you said something earlier that resonated with me. And I think that a lot of people understand that from just a pure sporting standpoint and relationship to the game, representation in the world cup is a huge catalyst for attention for the national team program, especially on the men's side. Uh, we see it even on the women's side, like the women being so dominant, you know, getting three stars and then four stars and the support that they have been able to receive. I don't know if that would have been as paramount had they not won back-to-back world cups. Um, although the coverage has been absolutely fantastic for the women's national team program, but not having representation for the men, I, I think really hurt the narrative, hurt the, the, um, the amount of reporters that are reporting on it, just the, the attention and eyeballs. When you see now that we have qualified for a world cup again, and, and, and just the ramp up into the, the challenges that we've overcome, what are some of the trends that you're seeing now in support for the national team? That's a hard question because I think, uh, you know, our scuffed audience is is such a is such a like hard like a core of the fan base. You know, it's the it's the most intense fans of the U.S. Sure. men's national team. I mean, I'm sure there are very intense fans who are not listening to Scuff podcasts. I'm sure of that. But I I'm, doubt it. Sure. But but well, <laughs> but but if you are listening to Scuff, you yeah. are you know you're pretty you're pretty interested in the men's national team. I think like how the cat, how the more casual fan thinks about the game and what, like what gets their uh, imagination going is, um is not something I have a great handle on. I wish I had a better handle on it, you know, cause I could, cause then I could sort of tailor what we're doing a little better yeah. for that, for that listener. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I know that interest, like the metrics that we have, would show a huge spike in interest in the lead up to the last qualifying window and then a, a pretty significant drop off in April and May and maybe a, a little bit of an uptick now. Um, but I, but you know, the metrics we have, like what, like people signing up as patrons or listeners to specific episodes, I don't know that they reflect the larger right. picture that, that well, you know? Yeah. I mean, You know, like we talked about earlier that, you know, chasing around 15-year-olds or thinking about, you know, every, every you know, pool, analyzing every single start that Pulisic has now at Chelsea, you know, and the, 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 now the, the hyper focus that we end up having, sometimes we can lose like the bigger picture because like what even is happening on a, a club side, sometimes, you know, yeah, again, look at a guy like Landon Donovan who played in MLS, wasn't this 
wasn't playing international, you know, or, or playing it for club soccer at one of the biggest clubs in the world, but you get him on the national team and the guy just basically becomes Superman every time he steps on the field. You right. know what I mean? Which is, that's kind of like an anomaly where you have players that like don't play in like this massive worldwide global league and yet they step on the international stage. And Mexico was afraid of Landon Donovan. I don't care what anybody says. Like he stepped on the field, they respected him and they feared him. Um, for sure. So, when you when you when you talk about like what you guys are now kind of focusing on in the podcast for you guys and the aim of the focus there for the men's national team, like kind of what's what's the approach? Do you really do you focus on storytelling? Do you focus on the analytics behind it? I mean, we can only break down Greg's. You know, now we're kind of really you know, it it Greg's recipe on feel on the field is kind of like going back to the same meal that you've eaten for like, it's like eating leftovers. You, know, you can only talk about that for so many, so many months. Right. Right. So when you guys kind of approach now, when you're, you're talking about analytics and talking about like kind of the narrative that's going on around the team, like where, where do you kind of find your eyes and kind of your focus kind of uh, heading towards? We kind of have, we kind of have two things going on. I mean, at least two things going on with the podcast now. So, you know, we, we do do the raw, ro- the roster episodes, um, analyzing who we think should be on the next roster. And then of course, reacting to the roster. Sure. Um, and and then we do the great, by the way, those are always great. Yeah. Greg's, <laughs> you know, Greg kind of carries the day on those and he's a, uh, he's, he's a really sharp guy, yeah. obviously. Um, and then, uh, as I said, as, as I said, when I toasted him in Orlando, when he couldn't make it to the tailgate, he loves the game of soccer. We all love the game of soccer, but Greg loves the game of soccer meticulously. Yeah. And, um, I think that's a good way to put it. But uh, so, and then, so Greg and I do those together. And then we also do the game re- recaps together. And the game recaps are, you know, they're the bread and butter of the podcast. That's the, the they, they get the biggest listenership, especially when we beat Mexico. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, we're going to keep doing that. That if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's our, that's our main thing. Uh, we do the, I do the Monday reviews with Vince Irvin and Chris Russell, who's also known as Watkey on Twitter. And that is a Hilarious little bit. Walkie's <laughs> what literally one of the best follows on Twitter. Like he's absolutely. You he want to talk about funny. somebody who added a great level of just humor and cheekiness and fun into where things were at. Like he was, he's been a wonderful, <laughs> he's been a one. That's the kind of guy at the party that you definitely want to hang out or around. Like he just seems <laughs> right. like he's such a wonderful guy has a great sense of humor. Um, I think you're right. He's added a lot of value to the, you know, the quote unquote discourse he, because yeah. he, because he doesn't take himself too seriously. He doesn't take the topic too seriously. Um, so he and <laughs> he and Vince and I do the, do a show every Monday called the Monday review where we, we you know, the, the loose format of it is we go through the performances over the last week of all, you know, U S men's national team eligible players who are even in the picture yeah. for being on a roster, but it's, it's much more, it's much more casual. It's there's a lot more joking around on that. And, um, you know, I think as we're still working on getting the right balance with that, where it's like substantive, but also fun. Um, and every week is a little bit of a new challenge on that front, but I think, Mm -hmm. I think we're getting there and I, and I do think people enjoy it. So it's, it's very different, you know, Greg and Greg and I are earnest in our analysis on the, of the game, the game recap. I mean, there's a little dry humor, but it's pretty, it's pretty much substance. And then the Monday reviews are, I would say, skew more towards just having fun talking about the team. And I yeah, and yeah. I think those are the those are kind of the two channels that we got going. And yeah. um, and then you know I do I do some interviews occasionally, and 
uh, you know, have other guests on. But as far as stuff that's repeatable that we're going to keep doing, that we're going to kind of depend on for our podcast, it's those two things, really. I, every time you keep saying Greg, I keep thinking you're talking directly to Burhalter because I figure you <laughs> yeah. have like you guys Greg like, V. Text Greg each Velasquez. Other. <laughs> like yeah. I keep thinking. So half the time I'm like, holy crap! Like, how much no. is Burhalter feeding you? What's going on? Burhalter <laughs> feeds me nothing. <laughs> okay, let me be enough. clear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you never know. Uh, you know, one thing I would love to hear is, you know, since you've been, you know, uh, following the national team and having the podcast and stuff, I would love to hear from you, you know, one game that comes to mind that was just an absolute stinker that you had to cover. And then one that for you was like, literally like your proudest, like your proudest work that you've done. So I'm just kind of curious, like what was the absolute stinker that you had to cover? Um, hmm. Well, so sometimes the, sometimes the game recaps of games that went badly uh, are, can be really fun, you know, because you get to, you get to sort of put on your white coat and try to treat it like a, like a biology experiment or something. Yeah. Um, and really just, just be clinical about how you talk about it. But, um, the, the, the stinker of the Berhalter era has to be the three zero loss to Mexico in a friendly, you know, a couple months after the world cup in 2019, it was, uh, it was very bad. Uh, I can't remember if we did a good episode on that. We did do a great, I thought a great episode a month after that when we lost to Canada two to zero in the Nations League group that won that game in Toronto. That was just uh, pretty pathetic, I thought, from yeah. from our team. And I that episode did really well, and it was it was fun to make because we it felt like we had some some things to say that needed to be said about that team. Uh, the funny thing about, you know, when we beat Mexico in Cincinnati, that was, uh, you know, last November, that was, that was another turning point that felt like the first time we put it together in qualifying and really looked good and, you know, had the MMA, the MMA midfield, Musa, McKinney and Adam time. Right. Yeah. Right. But I was so exhausted from the night before I'll put exhausted in air quotes and my voice, you know, I had been standing next to Eagle man in the stadium <laughs> screaming my head off. Um, and then, you know, like partying with a bunch of people who showed up for a scuff tailgate that like I, by the time I had to record, which was in a rest stop in Kentucky, um, <laughs> you know, with yeah. my headset, I was, uh, I, I, we were really both, both Greg and I were really happy, but it was like a very poor, podcasts yeah. that we put out now are you when you travel to games are you an outlaw as well you travel with the outlaws or you kind of do your own thing um kind of more do my own thing we we i'm i'm actually a member of american outlaws and yeah. i uh you know i'm i'm glad for all the work they do but we you know our tailgates are a little they're a little bit separate generally i think there's going to be a little bit of a collaboration in cincinnati for the morocco game but i won't be there okay um yeah, I've been outlaw and, too for gosh, I I don't even know like ten years or whatever. I've been outlaw for quite a while. So I mean, it's great. It, you know, they what would we do without them? They do the they do the um the day before events, and there's always a lot of people there. You get to see a lot of people you know, and um, you know, I mean, what we do, uh, they're by far the biggest supporters group. They they kind of carry the day in the yeah. stadium. So yeah, yeah, I remember I went to. Uh, last world cup cycle qualifying the six zero win uh up in san jose against honduras oh that was uh, a fun game pull six score dempsey had a hat trick like i remember you know getting to go to that that night before and you know when there's there lawless is there like you know 
Stu Holden, all those guys are hanging out. It's just, it was just really cool to kind of the people that you see around the the game and um, that that show up and being able to hang out with those guys was just really really cool. Um, you know, let me say something about that. It yeah. is a small, it is a pretty small world still. Sure. You know, the the U.S. soccer ecosystem, and I I've gotten to be kind of friends with Marcus Cranston, the the Eagle guy. You know, he 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 um, Eagle Man, yeah, and. He was just we we're, we're I was just saying on the Patreon the other day that we're gonna we're gonna do some historic recaps. We're gonna recap historic games like we just finished uh, recording the Czechoslovakia one from 1990, and we're gonna do we're gonna do USA versus Colombia 1994 next. Mm-hmm. And um and Marcus wrote, yeah, I just had uh, coffee with Paul Caligiuri yesterday. You know, uh, I can't wait to listen to this one. I'm yeah. like just casually dropping that you had coffee with yeah. Paul Caligiuri. You know. Well, Paul's out and about too. I mean, he's still in Southern California, I believe. He's uh, last I heard from him, he was working with um, one of the Orange County um, teams, the one that plays in Nisa, I thought, hmm. um, Cal uh, Cal FC or something like that. Um, that's last I recall, but that was a couple of years back now. But he's Paul's still really involved. You know, he's he's still out coaching, and he's 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 kind of never really too big or you know, kind of. He doesn't. Let's just put it this way: he doesn't fly in and out of places in a helicopter like some good. other. Good. Some other, uh, some big names out there. Um, I was wondering if you might be able to share with us, you know, just kind of like your your time in covering um, the men's national team, the doors that that's kind of opened for you and for Greg um, in your careers. Um, can you kind of share a story with us of just one of those uh, times for you that was like, I can't believe I I get to do this kind of moments. I mean, outside of covering a game in a in a truck stop, um, you know, yeah. post <laughs> post game. <laughs> You know, was there one of those, like, I can't believe I get to do this kind of moments? I, you know, this is going to be not the answer you're looking for, but I, I have only covered one game that I can remember from the press box. And that was the friendly against Brazil in 2018. And I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy, you know, I'm, I, I, as you, we think we discussed, I I used to be a reporter. I was a newspaper reporter for 14 years and, um, so I've, you know, I've written a lot of news stories. I, I didn't, I didn't, it, it was in MetLife Stadium. It was behind the the glass. It felt like I was in the cockpit of an airplane. It it didn't feel like I was part of the event. You know, I felt very separate from it. And it was nice to meet up with some of the other, you know, some of the names you see on Twitter and, yeah, and shake some hands and stuff. And like yeah. yeah. But um, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it that much. And I sort of decided then I'm just going to, I'm just going to go to the games and, and be a fan and then, you know, try to make a podcast afterwards. Honestly, the most rewarding thing for me has been the tailgates that we've done at these, at these, uh, at these games. They're, um, like I said, Greg was my only friend that I could text about, uh, soccer in a, in the level of detail that I wanted to text with. Yeah. Um, and I think there are a lot of people like that people who don't have any, maybe don't even have any friends who, who care as much about this as they do. And so when you show up at a tailgate before a game, even if all we're doing is just like drinking beer and eating hot dogs, it's not fancy. And you meet, you get to meet a bunch of people who are, who have the exact same passion as you do. That's, that has been uh, really rewarding. It's been like, I haven't gotten a lot of access as a result of the podcast, but the rewarding thing has been, the the building of the community and the the, community, yeah. the feel that it's like that it's it's built from the ground up you know yeah we i mean we i get i get emails from us soccer about like 
press availabilities. I can join the Zoom calls. I can apply for credentials to to cover games and stuff. But I don't I don't do a lot of the applying for credentials. I don't do it at all anymore. Okay, and that's just yeah, I get it. I don't know if I do the same thing. I, pro- I probably would just to just to at least be a fly on the wall and throw you know even a softball at Greg here or there or, or kind of pitch inside every now and that would be kind of fun. But if you know I. I do think like going to the post game press conference in person is really, that's a really valuable experience. And, um, but you know, in Cincinnati, I was just, I was way too inebriated to even, uh, to even begin to think about doing that. Responsible question. Yeah. Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. That's an honest answer. I appreciate it. Um, you know, like you said, I think that there was a collective sigh of relief, you know, when we qualified for the World Cup this cycle. And obviously, we don't have to worry about qualifying the next time. So, you know, part of the benefit, that I think that scuffed is going to have. And hopefully what we're doing at soccer geeks is that we're going to be able to kind of ride this, like this, like climactic, you know, level of interest over the next six, seven years, uh, in, in the national program and for the men's team, uh, in particular, um, can you kind of give us, so thinking about that and thinking about like, we're all kind of ramping towards hosting the world cup now in our country. Can you kind of give your own personal, like this is your personal opinion and prediction of like thinking going towards the World Cup. I want to talk about like what you think is going to happen this year of the World Cup for us. But even before that, I want to kind of talk about the summer. I want to talk about what you think the summer is going to look like for the national team program, for the players that are abroad. What are the things that your eyes are kind of focusing on um, as we kind of head into the fall? Just uh, Gio Reyna's health, like – need him to get healthy. That's a big thing I'm thinking about. Um, you know, the men have these four games in June and then they're off until September and then they're going to have two games in Europe. I think that's the hope. So they won't be back on American soil after June until, you know, after the world cup. Um, there is, it's, it is a busy summer though, because of those four games for the men. And then there's the U 20, uh, CONCACAF championship and then the women's CONCACAF championship, which qualifies them for both the world cup and the, um, and the Olympics, hopefully, you know, yeah. if they win the whole tournament, they go to the Olympics. Um, so there's a lot, a lot Which going on. Steamrolling, by the way, the girl, the girls teams, <laughs> there was a little bit like they had a lot of girls that got pulled up to the full national team. So they were a little thin at the youth levels, but they are absolutely steamrolling teams right now. It is. Wild. Yeah. I, I see like 14, one, 15, yeah. zero. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the senior women's team, you know, has, uh, this will be the first time the sort of new generation gets, uh, you know, gets to play in a competitive tournament together without the, you know, the icons of the last five, six years. Um, But for the men, yeah, I'll just be looking to see what, what club, what club situations change. You know, you know, we know Brendan Aronson is likely headed to Leeds. um, And there's going to, there's going to be a lot of other, hopefully a lot of other moves. It'd be interesting to see what happens with Chris Richards. He's been on loan at Hoffenheim for a second straight year. What's going to happen with John Brooks? I mean, not that, Brawler really cares what's going to happen with John Brooks, but I kind of do. Um, Fair enough. We could debate so, that. We could debate that later. Yeah, I would lo- so I, love to love to chime in on that. I think those those things are those things are important. Um, and I think you know if we're as long as we have everybody healthy and we go in there and play hard, which of course we will. It's a World Cup. Um, I think we have a decent a decent to good chance of getting out of the group. And then okay. from then on, it's a, uh, it's you know, it's kind of a crapshoot. I mean, we're not going to win the World Cup, but yeah, 
you know, we could get lucky Ch- and get to the semis. Are, chances are right. Yeah. I mean, you know, heck, Russia made it to what the semis before. I mean, I know they were hosting, but they caught lightning in a bottle for crying out loud. And right. Sometimes it's just being hot. Um, I don't know if I'm too PTSD'd from Kuva, you know, and I'm still just like not used to having success and kind of believing some of the toxicity you see online that like we're not going to be very good. World Cups are way harder. Like you guys have no idea. What I love about the group of players that we have right now is they kind of eat that type of rebuke for breakfast. And they, they kind of have – they collectively have the Dempsey swagger, which I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really freaking enjoy that, uh, namely because, like, Dempsey's my all-time favorite. My dog is named Dempsey. Like, I, like, oh, really? Like, yeah, like, I, I freaking – I was watching, you know, okay, we don't try to talk about current events, but – you know, Dempsey was just recently inaugurated into the um, soccer, National Soccer Hall of Fame. And right. just watching his speech, like, I had tears in my eyes going, like, I, like, this is such a good dude. Um, he brought so much to the national program. Um, I, I, I connected with him so much. You know, my kids grew up watching him and big Sounders fan here, you know, being able to go see him play in Seattle and do what he did for the way that he did it and going out the way that he did. Um, he brought so much to the game. And I feel like there's like this collective. What I really appreciate about what Burhalter has done, I think they have a collective belief in themselves, and and I I really appreciate that. Having said that, I think our group is way harder than people people are willing to admit. I think Iran and whoever comes out of you know Scotland and Ukraine and um, Wales, I, I I think we have in England, of course. I think we have three really tough games, but I like our chances. I like I like our chances. If I'm gonna bet on if I'm gonna bet on a group of kids, this is the same group of kids. Like going back to the same group of kids that in the U20 World Cup were told that France was gonna win it all and they had no shot. That went and won that game. Yeah, I like I, I like our chances. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Iran is a good team and um, is gonna be tough. And whoever comes out of that Wales, Scotland, Ukraine situation is gonna be tough too. And of course, England is good, yeah. but. Um, you know, we have we have a lot of talent. We have a lot of talent. We have a we have a starter at Juventus. We have a starter at Chelsea. We have a starter at Barcelona, and um, and Tyler's on the move. I think. Yeah. Tyler's on the right. Move. Yeah. And you know, if we, I think that's why Giovanni Reina matters so much. I think that's why I mentioned him first. Is like he is a very arguably our most talented player. He just has to stay healthy and yeah. um and sh- and show what he can do. But I think a, a World Cup stage is it's going to be, could be a perfect place for him to do that. You know? Yeah. I'm so high on Aronson, dude. I, you know, I remember, um, I went to the, his, his first cap that he had here in Carson, uh, when they played against Costa one, Rica, one zero game against Costa Rica. And I was so surprised even in hearing, you know, everybody's kind of breakdown of that game. Like he, he does what he's always done. The guy buzzes around the field. He makes things happen. He's got a, a motor like that would make Bielsa blush. You know, he, 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 he just does not stop, and I love I love everything that kid brings to the table. It, it pains me so much that he, he is always seen as the first guy coming off the bench and not a starter, just in the system that we play in. Um, <clears throat> I would love to yeah. see him be – we just have too many attacking, great attacking pieces. I would love to see them all on display together. So um, I want to ask a couple quick questions. We've got a couple other things. I, I don't – you know, I want to kind of wrap things. I want to kind of start our descent here. Um, so the first question I want to ask you is – for the women's national team, uh, you know, Scuff is Scuff is very focused on the men's national team, which I love. I think it's fantastic. But if you were to kind of plug 
a a podcast or an outlet that does kind of the equivalent of the level of attention and care and focus that you and Greg do with Scuffed. I just want to give you an opportunity if there if there's one that exists, like if somebody who covers the women's national team program kind of to the level and focus that you guys do and you know, just kind of at least throw that out there for our audience to kind of get plugged into. I'm not an expert on this, but uh, I think in terms of like uh, watching a lot of soccer and talking about the players in a way that's sort of similar to Scuffed, I I would say Diaspora United, Diaspora mm-hmm. United, um, which is focused on black fem- black female soccer players, but you know they they kind of cover the waterfront, and um, I I've gotten a lot out of listening to them lately. Uh, Courtney Stith and a guy named Andre. Uh, I think Courtney did. I don't know these people, but uh, Courtney. I think Courtney works for CBS, maybe, or she works for some big. Um, okay. Does some work for some big, big company, but they they do the podcast. It's, it's weekly, and it's uh, it's always worth checking out because I don't, you know, I barely have time to watch all the the men's stuff that I need to watch. So I'm not watching like champion. Like I didn't watch the full Champions League final in real time between Leon and Barcelona. But they gave a great sense of like what to look for in that game before the game, and yeah, so that's the one I I suggest. Okay, so outside of them, there's a big there's a big market out there, folks. There's a big opportunity. You could be the next Adam Bell's. Uh, <laughs> well, we're trying. You know, we're good. trying to do better on that. Oh, well, yeah, well, yeah, growing growing the scuffed family. I love it. Um, you know, you had mentioned earlier you got three kids and uh, live close to Chattanooga, and you had talked about the fact that you're kind of recently getting into coaching. And I wanted to get a chance just to kind of for you to share a little bit about your passion for that and kind of what, you know, you, you, you'd said earlier, you played a little college soccer and now you're a dad and uh, now you're starting to coach soccer a little bit. How has that been for you participating from that, that place of the sideline, knowing what you know and your analytics of the national team and now you're coaching basically Bumblebee soccer, you know, yeah. how do you bring what the, the things that you've learned and you're trying to apply? How do, how do you bring that now into the field with the kids you get to coach? Well, I ask a lot, ask a lot of, ask people for advice all the time. So if you have any, you know, far <laughs> sure. away, the whole, po- but... our whole podcast is about that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, keep going. yeah, I mean, um, I, you know, I do a lot of, I, I sort of follow the rules, which are you make sure the kids are touching the ball a lot and having fun. And, um, and I think what I've noticed in my two seasons coaching, I, I'm in a community that's not big on soccer. It's like a softball, baseball, football town. Um, now Chattanooga itself is, is I think a, a lot further along, but like where I live in the, on the Georgia side of the border, it's, it's much less of a soccer place anyway i uh i i found that when you when you focus on those things and you can get the light bulb to flash in the kid's head that like i can i can go take that ball and i can put it in the net and that's really satisfying and um once you have like four kids who have that who for whom that light bulb has come on uh then you're then you're really cooking and um and you know, I'm starting to try to work on like rondos and getting people to move to get open for the ball. But yeah, I'm dealing with like six, I got like six and seven year olds, so it's yeah. it's uh yeah, just keeping them focused and having fun and all right. that good stuff is is the fun stuff. Yeah, that's good. How- I mean, I I think that what you know the for where I'm at, like I've said, my care my kids are you know 
about eight or nine years older than yours. So now I'm kind of, uh, my 13 year old is, is of age now where she wants to start refereeing. And so her and I are taking the referee course together, uh, oh, cool. just so she can make like weekend money. And so I've done, I've done a little bit of coaching here and there. I've helped out, you know, when their kids are playing in tournaments for their club, when their coach can't make it, or there's two games doing double duty and stuff. And so that's been really fun from that sideline and now kind of getting to go, you know, stretch the hammies out and go do some center refing and some ARing. Uh, especially with my daughter is just, it's a really cool thing to bond around the game. And, and I always just, you know, I think that it's really good for people that care about the game, that analyze the game, that watch the game to go participate in their, with it in their local community, coach rec soccer, you know, yeah. get your C, get your D license, you know, get your online license, your grassroots stuff, and just, just go participate. Like the game is out there, go find it. We just don't just consume watching the game on Sunday. Sunday morning or Saturday mornings, you know, watching the games that you watch, but go be part of it in your community as well. Help inspire kids to play. Yeah. I waited until I had a kid that was signed up before I coached yeah. and I, I only coached because the commissioner of the league was desperate. And one of the other parents told him that I had a soccer podcast and he's like, well, surely he can coach soccer, <laughs> you know? And, and he called me like a week before the season started last fall and I did, and I did it. Um, but boy, I wish I had started doing it earlier. I wish I had yeah. started doing it when I didn't have kids. It's yeah. so fun. It's so fun. Oh, we had a blast. I'll tell you. I'll tell you the story. So when I, my two oldest girls, you know, they're they're almost Irish twins. They're very close together. So they got to actually play in the same age group uh, for rec soccer. And in the league that we played in, you know, you, the kids got to make their own team name. And so most teams would make the team name on whatever color, you know, jerseys you get or whatnot. So we, ours ended up having to be like a maroon jerseys is what, what it happened to be. And this is, gosh, I don't know, 2000 and like 12 or 13 or whatever. My kids are all pretty young at that time. And so, you know, me coaching it, I decided I came up with a very clever team name. And so I was like, well, the kids don't get to name the team. Like, uh, I want to make sure this is okay with the parents. And so we named the team the Run Burgundies uh, because the jersey colors were burgundy. And it was a girls team. And so the girls would play. We were called the Run Burgundies. And then all the girls would wear fake mustaches like Ron Burgundy because we're in San Diego, like the whole game. And I can tell you honestly, like, I have never laughed so much and had so much fun around the game as watching those little girls run around with little mustaches saying, I'm run burgundy, like just running around the field playing. That's we great. had just an absolute blast. Um, and it's the one thing I've really enjoyed and have a lot of joy from uh, coaching kids is as they get three, four years older, you know, and then if your kids keep playing, they play against each other, or whatever, but just seeing the parents and the kids on the sidelines continuing in the game is just something that you get a lot of joy knowing that you had them at kind of such a, such a formative year for them in the sport and just, creating that environment where they just love it and they have a ton of fun and facilitating that uh, is just one of the most rewarding experiences I've had um, just as a dad and, and just my, my relationship with the game has been cool, man. So good for yeah. you. Well, I, you. let me say one more thing about it. I feel like uh, there's a, there's a really good big picture rationale for it too. Cause I'm not, I'm not under the impression that any of my seven kids this year is going to be a professional soccer player or anything like that. I, you know, that's not going to happen almost certainly, but statistically, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but they're going to be, hopefully they're going to like the game of soccer a lot more and they're going to have kids and their kids are going to maybe be introduced to soccer at an earlier age and with a, like a more in a more loving way than like most of the kids I coach, yeah. you know, their parents didn't play soccer. They don't, they, you know, they claim to know nothing about it. Um, so I think like, that's what a what a great way to to sort of grow the game is just to like give some kids uh, help some kids love the game of soccer more. Yep. 
Yeah, I didn't grow up playing either. And, you know, having my joy for the game and loving the national team and then, you know, the relationships that I've had as I've coached or even being a parent on the sideline, inviting people to watch parties to come watch games with me, you know, whether they be club or whether they be country and just inviting people into the journey of following the national team, you know, is you're, you're a friendly face. You know, you're, you're, you're a doorkeeper and you get to open the door and invite people in mm-hmm. uh, to this really great thing called the national team that will – give you great joy and also break your absolute freaking heart. Um, Adam, one last question. You know, we always ask on our show, we always end with this and, and, and I, I want to ask you, um, you know, if you were given one, one thing that you could sweepingly change or enact in U S soccer, uh, to its fullest effect, what one thing would you change about our, the game in our country and what effect would that have on the game? Hmm. Boy, that's a hard one, Jason. Um, <laughs> that's why I ask it last. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, some there's got to be some mechanism to to make soccer less of a traveling sport and more of a local sport, so that it so that it doesn't ex- so that people aren't excluded based on their economic situations. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is the most mealy mouthed answer ever. This is not one specific proposal. You know, this is a huge sure. thing, but sure. I really think that, that, you know, getting it so that though, getting it so that youth soccer is, is more focused on like five minute drives instead of, you know, hotel stays in, um, in Macon or Tallahassee or whatever that would have that if we had that, that requires a lot more people to, to be playing the game, yeah. you know, for the, for people to find the level they want to find nearby. But I don't know, finding some way to do that and uh, mm. getting more, getting more coaches involved, finding ways for, I don't know how U S soccer money is, is like apportioned, but a lot of it's in legal fees. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, get money out to the get money out to the sticks you know get it get money out into america and um help people uh help people grow the game that way yeah i'm with you i mean if we could grow the level of youth players that we have if we could double that we double the amount of kids playing i think that that greatly reduces the amount of travel uh i i for my daughter one of my daughters i i drive 40 minutes you know to practice for her and i live where there's you know 25 clubs within 30 minutes of my house it just so happens that's where we need to go for her uh, we went to a tournament this last weekend. You know, we're driving an hour and a half away. Stay at a tournament for the weekend. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes, you know, that's not every weekend. You know, and I I happen to live in like one of the most resource rich, you know, soccer rich, you know, places yeah. in the, the whole country in San Diego. So, um, but no, I appreciate your answer. I do, um, because when you do start traveling around and seeing how separate areas are, especially on the East Coast, uh, from one another. Um, you're like, man, like you got to drive two hours for a game. That's kind of ridiculous. You know, there's got to be something in between here. So, yeah, well, if um, look, yeah. you asked about Chattanooga FC earlier, they did something last a couple weekends ago. They they held a jamboree for U6 and U8 age groups. So all you had to do was sign up and show up, you know, if you were part of a one of the local rec associations. And it was a great way for like my little players to test themselves against different competition and see how other people play. Um, and we get to see how other rec associations are doing. 
I mean, that kind of thing seems perfect to me. You know, if we could just raise the level of the rec associations in the area and get people to play better and, and because, yep. because otherwise we got to go to Atlanta and stay there, yep. stay there overnight. And, you know, most of the families that on, on my team, they're not going to do that. You know, they're not going to, they're going to spend $600 on right. something like that. So yeah. Local, build, local build soccer more fields, build more fields, build more, build more places to play. Well, let's get Marissa back in here to kind of hear her, her kind of points for wrap up. And then uh, we'll let everybody get on their way. Marissa, there she is. Hey. Oh, hey. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. What you got for us? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I learned from you two talking a lot about the national team. So, I mean, I was really entrenched in the conversation about those aspects. So, you know, if, if you're learning, if you're looking to learn about those things and how it just kind of evolves, um, I mean, I like to hear everything. And I kind of like what you said, Adam, where you're just like, you're ready to like take that next step to learn about it, to kind of really know. And you were texting your friend to get on subreddits and stuff like that. I think, you know, I think that along with access, like you said, like more five minute drives and uh, we'll hopefully, you know, by the time the World Cup comes here, we'll have more people into it. And it's just a matter of time. Um, as people start following it and really um, demanding a better output, I think that'll be, and and I say demanding as like a, I don't know if that's the right word because there's not like, you know, like marches about it, but I think, you know, it's just a slow process right now because the game is growing and we can see it. We're just so entrenched in it, I think every day. You know. I think demand is the right word, you know, because if people yeah. don't, because if people don't pay attention to the national team, they, they might be disappointed to hear that they didn't qualify for the world cup, but mm-hmm. you need people paying attention to, in order, right. you need to be paying attention in order to even begin to demand anything. And so we want more people paying attention because that, mm-hmm. that's what matters. And, um, and with that comes demands right. I, that sure. I guess uh, I, I said that poorly, but. Thank you for putting the bow on that. That's definitely yeah, no, it was good. for, for real. <laughs> well, for, for those of you that, that definitely demand better coverage for the men's national team, I just want to encourage you. I like that segue. I just want to encourage so you to become a, a patron of the Scuffed podcast. Um, I have mm-hmm. learned a ton. Uh, Belzy and Greg have a wonderful approach to the game. I have learned analytically just a ton of how to see the game a little bit better through their eyes. And so I got, I just, Adam, I just appreciate your contribution to the conversation of growing the game during a very, very dark time for the national team program. Uh, I do hope that you'll think again about getting some of those press credentials because I think that your voice and your perspective is important in that reporting room because uh, you you bring you, the audience and the discord and the conversations that are ha- happening there. Those aren't those are the types of questions and conversations that we would love to hear more, uh, be heard more uh, by the the people that are responsible of the program, even including players and the coaches and staff. So, I just hope you take that encouragement from me really well. That's and a good shout. I, I appreciate that. I hope our listeners will take my encouragement and my my strong arm argument that you need to subscribe to their not only their podcast but you need to also support what they're doing so they can do it bigger and grow their staff so that they can cover the women's national team like they cover the men's as well. That's my plug for you, Adam. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. 
Thank you, yeah. thank you for coming back after your nine-hour absence, too. I appreciate it was that. A dark, it, you know what? Just like us missing the World Cup, it was a dark five or six years. That was a dark nine nine or ten hours for you, I know, but I'm glad to be back. So here I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, Adam, how do we uh, find your – I mean, outside of Googling it, where can we connect with you um, and the podcast online? The um, You know, a lot of our action is on Twitter, so it's at scuffedpod is where we basically announced everything just not the cat not uh not the un it's just scuff pod so s-c-u-f-f-e-d-p-o-d okay got that's it a, that's okay and then we'll, we'll um, blur that out in the video production <laughs> <laughs> people will figure it out and then the other thing yeah. is yeah the patreon check out the patreon it's uh patreon.com backslash scuffed and um and then of course please okay. before you do any of that just listen to the podcast. It's yeah, the Scuff Soccer Podcast is the quickest way to find it on a podcast app. Because there are other things called the Scuff Podcast, but if you put soccer in there, you'll find us. Soccer sounds yes. awesome. Well, Adam, thanks Great. so much. I hope we get to see you at a tailgate sometime. And, and thanks yes. for your contribution. We're, you know, for everybody else out there, we're going to let you go. We're going to hang out backstage with a few minutes with Adam. But Adam, thanks so much for the conversation today, man. I, I really enjoyed it. I hope you had a great time, too. I did. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, Bye. Bye.